2 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to begin reading tonight as we uh, springboard into the subject of prophecy, the Lord's return. 2 Peter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was, the day of Noah, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now the world that we live in this present day, 2022, but the uh, heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, the word of God, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God, and, and we thank you for the Word of God. I thank you that I am, as an unworthy servant of yours, privileged to preach the Word of God. And I don't say that hypocritically. I am an unworthy servant. And I thank you that you counted me worthy, given me the privilege to preach. I pray, God, that perhaps you'll call somebody else here tonight to preach and give them the privilege of declaring the Word of God. And maybe even some young ladies here or some women here that they could be in ministry in some way but Lord, all of us, the privilege of giving the gospel wherever you place us. But now, Lord, as we look into the word of God, we ask for the spirit of God to apply it to our hearts and direct my mind, my emotions, and my will, that this would be totally a movement of God and not uh, a speech or a work of man. And so, God, protect me from myself, and Lord, put my confidence in you, and we all put our confidence in you right now, to give us what we need. We claim uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. And then as a result, we claim, Lord, that you are capable of producing a message that not one of us would leave without being affected by. And so, Lord, if there are any that need to be saved, we ask you, Lord, to save, to show them their need, show them the urgency and if there are any that are backslidden, that they'd have their heart revived. You love them, and you don't want them to waste their life. And we pray, Lord, this truth tonight will help them to be revived. Then encourage every other one of us who are already trying and striving to please you, though we fail. So God bless the message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. I 
I saw a television program once where Hollywood zoomed the camera in on a church sign that said, Jesus is coming soon. And then it was the dilapidated sign, and in the churchyard there were men and women who were drinking beer, and obviously the church hadn't been doing much. The grass was overgrown, the building was dilapidated, the sign was dilapidated, and now people gathered there to drink beer and just hang out. And then in a short period of time, it zoomed the camera back in on that church sign that said, Jesus is coming soon, and the wind blew, and it blew one of the letters loose from the sign, and it dropped to the ground. Now, obviously, the people in California, Hollywood, were trying to make fun of Christianity. And they were saying, some preacher put that sign up so long ago, Jesus is coming soon that the sign is falling apart. What a joke. Jesus is coming soon. Whatever preacher put that up so long ago, that building's been shut down for so long that it's dilapidated. The grass has grown over, and what a joke. Those who put Jesus is coming soon aren't even having church anymore. And then they were clearly making fun of people that are Christians who believe that Jesus is coming again. Well, the Bible said that the days that Jesus would come would be days that are filled with scoffing. It says there will be scoffers who will say, where is the promise of his coming and try to tell you you're a fool if you believe in it? Well, I'm telling you, we have a promise from Jesus Christ that he's going to come back to earth again, and we need to take it seriously. And there is so much evidence that we are close to the Lord's return, that it should affect the way we live. Now, there may be some here tonight that you haven't been doing so well spiritually. You know what the devil's going to do? He's going to tell you, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser. You've blown it. It's no, you've got nothing left. Hey, listen, I don't know how many years i got left, but I want them to count, don't you? And so you can't do anything about the past, but you can do everything about the present and the future. And if you will understand that the Lord's return is going to happen and you realize it could be soon, I would challenge us all. Forget about the past, but let's press on to the future and let's do something while we can for the good of men and the glory of God. So we're going to look at this subject tonight, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now the first thing we're going to look at is the statement that Jesus made. He said, I will come again. The second thing we're going to look at is the support for this, why we believe he's coming again, and why we think it's going to be very soon. And then we'll spend some more time, and probably the bulk of the time, on the third point, which will be the significance. And somebody asked me last night, are you going to go through the book of Revelation? Yeah, not everything, but we're going to see what God says is going to happen for those who are left behind. Now, the Bible says if you're left behind, you're going to go through the tribulation period, And those that we know that are left behind will go through seven years of hell on earth called the tribulation period. And when we understand how bad it's going to be, it's a motivation to us to live for the Lord while we can to try to get other people to be saved. So now you know the basic approach we're going, the statement, the support, and then the significance. Now let's look first at the statement Jesus made, I will come again. Now, first be aware very simply, that he promised 
that he would come to earth again. John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that there, where I am, there ye may be also. There it is, the promise. Now, when Jesus ascended up into heaven in Acts 1, 11, his angels said to those who were watching him, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so Jesus ascended up into heaven, Acts 1, 11, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, get it, shall so come in like manner as she has seen him go into heaven. So the angels even said it. Just like he went up, he's going to come back. And then you find in Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, so he died on the cross for us. But And then it says, they also which look to him shall he appear the second time. And so God says he's going to come back to every Christian who is looking for him. Revelation 1.7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him. Revelation 22.7, Behold, I come quickly. Revelation 22.12, And behold, I come quickly. Revelation 22.20, He which testifieth of these things saith, Surely I come. And some of the last words of our entire Bible are, Even so come, Lord Jesus. So it's very clear he's coming again. Now, the second thing is his program. There are two parts to his return, and maybe we don't understand that. Now, the first part is the rapture, and the second part is the revelation. Now, the rapture is the next thing that's going to happen. Jesus won't come all the way down to the earth. He's going to just come to the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall, not might, not maybe, but definitely, Descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, that's us, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, not the earth, to meet the Lord in the air, not the earth. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now the rapture is the next thing that will happen, and it can happen tonight before we go to bed. Before the end of this service, it could even happen. Now, after the rapture, where we are caught up into the sky to meet Jesus in the air, somebody says, well, that's not ever going to happen. How is that going to happen? If God said, let there be light, and there was light, all God has to do is say, come up hither, and we're gone. So with man, it's impossible, but how many agree that if God wants to do something, he can do it? And he's going to rapture us out of here, regardless of people mocking it, he'll do it because it's all over the Bible. Now, after the rapture, you've got the tribulation period. We won't go into that now. It's going to be horrible. But then after the seven-year tribulation is the revelation, and that's where Jesus comes all the way down to the earth, Zechariah 14, 4, and he lands on Mount Olive, and he goes into Jerusalem through the eastern gate, and he sets up the millennial kingdom. And there'll be a thousand years of peace on earth, and after that, a few things take place, and then we go into eternity. But it's very clear. First, we have the rapture, then the revelation, and it's separated by a seven-year period called the tribulation. Now, that is, first of all, the statement, I definitely am going to come back to earth again. And it is in two parts, the rapture, then the revelation, separated by the tribulation.
Now, the second thing we want to look at is the support for this. First, I want to give us a valid argument, and then I want to give us an invincible argument for why we can believe he's going to come back to earth again, just like he said, okay? Now, first of all, there is a valid argument. There will be signs. All right, take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 21, if you will. And in Luke 21, it talks about Jesus coming to earth to set up the millennial kingdom. But it says there'll be signs before the millennial kingdom. It also, talking about the signs of millennial kingdom, also does for a while talk about signs that precede the desolation of Daniel chapter 9 when the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed it. That was prophesied and it happened. All right, now notice Luke 21 and verse 11. It says, And great earthquakes shall be in divers' places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. So somebody asks, Are there going to be signs? It says, There shall be signs from heaven. So there will be signs. Now notice verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. They're seeing the waves roaring, men hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and get it, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's a kingdom. And when these things begin to come to pass, they don't even have to be complete, they just need to begin, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, there are no signs that are preceding the second part of Christ's return. But there will be many signs of the first part of Christ's return, the rapture. No signs before the rapture. That will be like a thief in the night. But then, there will be many signs preceding the second part, his millennial kingdom. Now, here is what is exciting to prophecy preachers. Many of the signs that are to precede the second part of Christ's return are already beginning to come together. Now, if these things are beginning to come together, and therefore the second part of his return, then wouldn't that mean that the rapture, which comes even before that, has to be that much nearer? Now, if I was standing around the corner, and like right here we've got the pulpit, there's the shadow here. If I was standing around the pulpit, around the corner here, and like this, I kind of see a shadow. I'm saying, what is that? It's a square. And then I go like this, okay, there's another square. What is that? And then I go like this, oh, the pulpit, okay? Now, if I was standing around a corner and I saw the shadow of a foot and a shadow of an arm and then the shadow of a head and then a neck and then a body and then the other leg, if the shadow of a human being is walking around the corner, then I would say, well, probably there's a human being that's going to be right behind the shadow. Does that make sense? Now, we're seeing the shadow of the Antichrist and the millennium and the tribulation period coming around the corner. And if the shadow of the Antichrist and his activities are coming around the corner, then that must mean the Antichrist is right around the corner. Does that make sense? Now, there are many signs, and one of the biggest signs in Luke 21 here is the fig tree being formed, and that is the nation of Israel. And once we saw Israel become a nation when they hadn't been for 1,900 years, that was a sign. We're very close to the Lord's return. 
And that happened in 1948, and then in 1967, they went into Jerusalem, and I believe that to be the budding of the fig tree, and it says, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. And I believe it is prophesying the generation that sees the Jews go back in Jerusalem, somebody who saw that will still be alive when Jesus comes back to earth. Now, I believe that that is saying it is very near. But the prophecies of the shadows of the Antichrist, the signs, I want to look at those, though, right now. And let's just look at three of them in Revelation 13, and we'll compare it to Revelation 17. So you've got to be pretty fast on this. The Bible says that with the Antichrist and his work during the tribulation, you'll find that he will have a one-world government. Now, where do we find the Antichrist? will be in charge of a one-world government. He'll be a one-world dictator. You find this in verse 7, Revelation 13. And it was given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over A-L-L. What does that spell? All kindreds and tongues and nations. Now, the Antichrist is going to be the one world power over all the nations of the earth. There's your one world government. Now, there's a lot that has been developing toward a one world government. I can remember back in 1998, I remember sitting across the desk from one of my preacher friends, and he said, did you hear what happened yesterday? I said, what? He said there was a gathering in a certain location with 160 representatives from 160 different nations. And they discussed forming a one-world government. I said, no, I don't believe that. You're just looking for preaching material, and I'm not going to preach on it unless I check into it myself. So I checked into it, and sure enough, 160 nations had sent representatives to discuss forming a one-world government. Now, they said there's war crime, there's famine, there's genocide, and there are other things that we've got to work together to stop, so we need a one-world governing body. So then they said, as soon as we get out of this meeting, we're going to get a committee, and we're going to make a constitution for the world. And once it is created, we'll vote on it, and when 60 nations ratify it, we'll consider it world law. Now, I watched on April 11, 2002, when the 65th nation ratified it. And three months later... July 1st, 2002, it became world law. Now, how many of you have ever heard on the news people say things like, they're not in line with international law? Anybody heard that? That is the one world government. Now, as you look at this, the Bible said that there will be a one world governing body, and right now they have already been incarcerating different leaders from different countries. Libya, at this time, has somebody that is, was in charge of the country of Libya, but is now, from what I understand, imprisoned through the International Criminal Court. And they are taking the leaders of nations. Now, I don't care how strong the United States of America is. We are still, I believe, the most powerful nation on earth, but I don't think we'd be able to stand against 160 nations at one time. Now, I watched this as it came together, and as of last month, 
there were 150 plus nations that have considered it to be world law. Now, do you know where the Bible says that the one world government is supposed to come from? And it was prophesied all the way back in AD 96. In Revelation 17 and verse 9, it's the city with seven mountains, which is identified to be the city of Rome. So preachers for years have been saying, look at Rome. Look at the uh, place called Rome. And a one world government is going to form in the last days in the city of Rome. Now listen carefully. Do you know where they met July 17th, 1998 to discuss forming a one world government of all places in the world, the city of Rome. Now do you know what they're calling the constitution that they call international law? And you can look it up on the internet. You can download a copy. It is called the Statutes of Rome. And that is happening and it is later than you think. Now, recent developments, how many have ever heard in 2020 they had what was called the Davos meeting, the Davos-Switzerland meeting? How many have heard of Davos before? Okay, so you can see I'm not making this up. In Davos, Switzerland, 750 leaders from more than 90 different countries, not 160 this time, 750. That is quite a multiplication of numbers that are for this. And they met together in Davos, Switzerland to discuss having a great reset, if you've ever heard of that term. Now, the great reset, they are saying they want to reset a green transformation. They want to have the great redesign of our economic system of the world, and they want to equalize the finances of the world, and give everybody the same amount. Socialism and communism has always been part of the one world uh, agenda. And then they are going to the digital transformation. And since then, we've had 5G. Now, am I going to take my 5G phone and throw it away? No. There are a lot of benefits from 5G. But the interesting thing is that this is enabling them to track anybody that they care to track. I mean, I get once a month something from Google, and it says, look at your Google print. So I just clicked on it once, and what in the world is this? And it showed every place that I had stopped in the entire month. It had a red dot by every store and restaurant that I entered. And so I did a little more research, and they had a record of every place and every city that I pulled in for gasoline, for meals, or anything the entire year of 2021. Now, I'm telling you, this digital transformation is all part of them being able to control us. And I'm not saying we need to throw our phones away because one world government's coming whether you want to or not because the Bible prophesied that it would. Now, that doesn't mean that we might not try to slow it down, and I'm going to do what I can, but I'm saying this is part of the agenda. Now, then they are going to have a shift that has the ability to empower every individual. Now, that's why they are now, you can see regularly, though we're not racist in any way, shape, or form. I have people tell me, oh, you're a racist. I remember one time when I was out witnessing, and a man I was witnessing in front of a, a, uh, a bar that had a lot of people that were a different color than me, okay? 
Now, while I was there, handing out tracts, witnessing, trying to reach these dear black folk for Jesus, one man came up to me and he said, I think you're racist. I said, why do you think I'm racist? Look around. I'm the only white person on this whole street. I came here because I wanted to. But I said, I think you're racist. I said, what? I said, I think you're racist. He said, why do you say that? I said, because you got a knife under your arm. And sure enough, he pulled it out, and he had a knife under his arm. Now, we're not necessarily, we're not racist, okay, in any way. But what they're trying to do is tear down anybody who has been known to have power and give power to the lesbians, the transgenders, and anybody who is from any different color. Now, the purpose of this is to bring in this one world control and this one world religion and all of this stuff. Now, we are very close to what the Bible says, a one world government. And leaders are meeting regularly, and Klaus Schwab, listen to this, the founder and president of the World Economic Forum made this outstanding statement a few uh, months ago. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Now, it is later than we think, and the Bible said that one day, in the end, there would be a one-world government out of Rome, and that is what is happening. And the Davos movement, you can check it out, they are making plans since they failed for 2021 that they want to bring it all into motion, 2031. Now, the Bible also teaches that the one way you can tell when you're getting close to the Lord's return is that there will be a one-world religion. I look back at Revelation 13, and I want you to notice verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth, A-L-L, shall worship the beast. All shall worship him, the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now turn in your Bibles to Revelation 17. Now it teaches that there's going to be this one world government, but then it says a one world religion all are going to worship the Antichrist that are not saved during the tribulation period. There will be people getting saved in the tribulation period, but it will not be anybody here tonight who gets saved in the tribulation period. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Why? Because you have a chance to get saved tonight, you will not have a chance to get saved in the tribulation period. So if you don't know that you're going to heaven, even if you're just not sure of it, that's a scary place to be, and you want to make sure that you're going to go to heaven. All right, now in Revelation 17 and verse 1, there came one of the seven angels which have seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now it uses a term called the great whore, and that is a picture of the one world religion. Okay? Young people, I hope you're listening. Now, it's a picture of a one-world religion, the great whore. Anytime you see the word whore used symbolically, it is of a false religious system. Now, this false religious system is also going to be headquartered in Rome. All right, look at verse 9. Here is the mind which hath wisdom or discernment, the seven heads or seven mountains, on which the what? Woman sitteth. Verse 9, so Rome is going to be the headquarters of a one-world religion, 
in the tribulation period. Now, anybody know what religious system comes out of the city of Rome? What is it? Catholicism. And do you know what the word Catholic means? Anybody? Universal. And so it's talking about a one world universal religion already in the Catholic Church, just by its name. And it being headquartered in Rome, it's a good likely chance that Catholicism will be the one world religion. Now, we don't know that for sure, but we do know for sure it's going to come out of Rome. But I will say there's a lot developing toward a one world religion. Pope John Paul II, when he was here on earth, I can remember him having a meeting, and I've got a picture of it, with people from over a hundred different religions meeting together in San Francisco to discuss bring all religions together under the umbrella of Rome. And a lot has been going on to bring us toward a one-world religious system. How many of you have ever seen the bumper stickers that say coexist? Now, did you notice that the bumper sticker letters have a symbol? And each letter is a symbol of a different religion. And they're trying to say, let's just bring all religions together. Now, it could also be that the one world religion will be Islam. The Islams have had their, mind, their eyes set on Rome for a long time. And he, an Islam cleric, I heard him say, and I read through the translation of what was being translated, that they want to revive the Roman um, religion and they want to revive the Roman Empire and control it as Islam. And in the tribulation period, a lot of times, it says people that put their faith in Christ will be caught by the Antichrist and be beheaded. And one of the regular things done by the Islam religion is beheading those that they consider to be infidels. Now, there is a lot moving forward toward a one-world currency. All right, let's turn back to Revelation 13 and Revelation 13, and we're going to get to the book of Revelation in a little bit in some of the things that will happen in the tribulation, but we're just seeing it's a promise. Jesus is coming back. We need to take it seriously. And why do we believe it's going to happen soon is because of all of these signs. One world religion, one world government, but then also a one world currency. Notice what it says, Revelation 13 and verse 8. Um, verse 16. And he causeth... Okay, verse 16. Um, Revelation 13 and verse seven, uh, 16, I'll find it. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six, or 666. How many have ever heard the term 666? Okay, there's a lot developing toward that. Even if you look on barcodes, now all of them are like this. But many of the barcodes you will see as they separate the different categories where they keep track of what they buy and sell or have in the store, you will see the barcode marked for six, then some information, where it came from. Then the barcode marked for six, and then some information. And then the barcode marked at the end for six. And so you've got 666 on a lot of barcodes. Now, I can remember hearing that, and I thought, well, I'm not going to believe that until I check it out. 
So I went into Walmart, picked up a can. Yep, 666. Picked up another can. Yep, 666. Picked up another can. No, not 666. But I did see often 666 is the marking of the economic um, structure and understanding and organizing all these things. So we have evidence, at least we're moving toward that is what I'm saying. But I remember being in Williamsport, Virginia, Williamsburg, Virginia, and there was a meeting where they were introducing new technology called smart card technology, and they said, if you want to come to it, we'll give you a buffet. So I thought, well, you get a free meal out of it. What do I have to lose? So I went, and as I went in, I was eating my food, having a wonderful time. Then the vice president got up, and he said, it's time to introduce this technology, and he said, What I hold in my hand looks like a credit card. It is not. It is a smart card. The difference is, in the bottom corner, we have a chip that we call a smart chip, and most every one of us has one now. And he said, this little chip is going to replace paper money. This little chip is going to replace all of our coins. Now, how many of you have noticed that recently you go to a Hardee's or a McDonald's, they say, coin shortage? Where'd they go? What is happening, as I have talked to business owners, is the banks are not giving out the coins. And the head banks, the district banks, are not giving coins to the banks to give out the coins. And it's not that we don't have them. It's that they are purposely trying to shift us away from using coins. Do you follow me? Now, then they are also purposely trying to shift us away from using paper money. You notice how they talk about how, how diseased the money is. And you notice how they put plastic on the plastic so that we don't get disease from the plastic that's below the plastic. And all of these crazy things. Now, they are shifting us away from using paper money. Now, when he made this announcement... This is going to replace our money. Everybody's going to be using the Verichip to do their buying and selling. And now, whenever I go into a restaurant, I pull out my little Verichip, I'm sorry, my smart chip, and I go, ding, and a little dot goes across, boom, boom, and it's done. Now, it is not the mark of the beast, but it is a precursor of it, and I'm not afraid I'm going to accidentally take the mark of the beast because I'll be raptured before the Antichrist comes and the mark of the beast is revealed. So you're not ever going to accidentally take it. But here's the thing. You're moving very rapidly toward a cashless society. Now then, since then, they've come up with other technology called the Verichip. Anybody heard of the Verichip? And then they also have nanotechnology, and nanotechnology is smaller than microtechnology, and I've got a picture where they actually implanted a nanochip in the brain of a roach. Now, why? Well, they have a little device that they can shock the brain of the roach, and they can make it turn right, and they can make it turn left by just shocking the brain of the roach. And you know what their purpose is? They're going to sell it at Christmas, and boys are going to buy it and scare their sisters. No, that's not it. The purpose of the remote control roach is they can also put a, a nano camera on it and a nano microphone, and a roach can carry 20 times its weight. And they can put this on the roach, and they can go through air conditioning vents underneath cracks in the wall, underneath doors, and go into enemy territory and take pictures, and they can hear their conversations. 
And if the enemy ever catches the roach, all they do is squish the roach and we don't lose an American soldier's life. Now, if they can put a nanochip in the brain of a roach, don't you think they can put a nanochip in your hand so that you can buy or sell? Now, we're moving very rapidly toward this. And I can remember, as I mentioned, going into Walmart, and I said, why is it that we have? This is no cash. Or, and then over here, you can use cash. And the lady said, COVID-19. And I said to her, well, ma'am, why did they invest billions of dollars at Walmart into a temporary problem? Billions of dollars to make people use coins, uh, cards instead of cash to try to stop the spread and the disease. And she said, I never thought about that, if it's a temporary problem. And I said, and why is it that this side you use cards, but this side you can use cash? I said, doesn't that kind of look like we don't care if these people die and these people we want to live? And I said, you know it's more than that. She said, well, I never thought about it. And it is because they are rapidly trying to move us toward a cashless society where they control the cash and they spread it around. And as it says, no man can buy or sell unless they get the mark of the beast and we're moving very rapidly toward it. Let me give it to you. No man can buy or sell save he wear a mask. No man can buy or sell in my restaurant save he or she wear a mask. And then, no man can buy or sell food in my restaurant unless they have the vaccine. And then it goes on. No man can work for the government unless they have the vaccine so they cannot get money to buy or sell save they have the vaccine, save they have the booster. And what I'm saying is, this is all purposely moving us toward this one world currency. And I'm telling us, it is later than we think. Now, if we preach, and God put in the scriptures, use wisdom. And God put in scriptures, look up and watch for the Lord's return. We need to take these things seriously. Now, let's close. Um, we have the valid argument, but we have the invincible argument. We're not closing yet, but here's the invincible argument. Here's what Paul said. Here's why you can know Jesus is coming again. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. 2 Peter 3 and verse 1, and then we'll close by looking at the significance. All right, 2 Peter 3 and verse 1, it says, um, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, get it, that ye may be mindful of the what? Words. Not of the nanotechnology, chip technology, not be aware of the International Criminal Court, but that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, you know why we know that Jesus is going to come back to earth again? We have God's word on it. And how many of you believe that we can believe God's word? All right, now let's close by looking at the significance. All right, take your Bibles and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, God introduces the tribulation period by describing it as a woman in labor pains. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 3, 
For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, I've never had a baby, but I have seen three babies born. And I think I have a pretty good idea what labor pains might be like. How many of you ladies in here have ever had a baby before? Okay, I think there are three phases. And I said, you have a baby. Okay, great. Now, three phases, and you ladies who have had a baby, tell me if you think I'm right. Phase number one of the labor pains, they start bad. How am I doing? Phase number two, they get worse. Phase number three, they end unbearable. That's when you want to kill your husband. Am I right? Now, God says the tribulation period, get this, starts with seven seals. Gets worse with seven trumpets, and it ends unbearable with seven bowl judgments, and we're going to skim through them and not be able to hit them all, but it'll be an exciting ride. And then we'll close with application and be done. All right, take your Bibles to Revelation 6, the beginning of the labor pains. It starts off with a book, and it has seven chapters. Each chapter is sealed shut, or it could be seven scrolls, and each one sealed shut. And Jesus comes, breaks the seal, reads the judgment written in that chapter, in that scroll. And it comes out, and it falls on the earth. Now, the first seal is broken, and the judgment is read in verse 2. Revelation 6 and verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat in him had a bowl, and a crown was, what? Given unto him. Now, this is where the Antichrist becomes a one-world dictator. The world lets him be in charge of the world. Now, have you ever noticed recently what took place in COVID-19 era? We had this COVID-19 in America, COVID-19 in China, COVID-19 in Australia, COVID-19 in every nook and cranny of the world, right? Then what happened? Whether you were for him or against him, which I was not for him, I'll just tell you that, but I won't tell you I was against him, but he definitely wasn't for him, so probably I was against him. A guy rises to the scene named Fauci, and it didn't matter what he said, everybody went like this, am I right? And that was worldwide, folks. And you can see how if we have another pandemic, if we have another situation, that the world is ready for one man to step up and give the answers, and they will make him the one-world dictator. Now, he's given a one-world government in verse 2, because he promises peace and safety, but it's a short-lived peace when in verse 4 there is a world war. Notice it. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Now, as a result of world war, where there will be war everywhere, there will be a world famine. Notice verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. Now, in Bible days, a penny was a day's wage, but with it, you could buy eight measures of wheat here you'll only be able to buy one. Now, if you used to buy eight, now you can only buy one. Not eight, only one. That's 800% inflation. Application. You bought groceries this week and you paid $100 for your groceries. This happens next week. You're left behind. You go into the tribulation period. Shortly into the tribulation period, inflation goes up 800%. 
very rapidly. And the groceries that you paid $100 to feed your family that week now cost $800 if you're going to get the same amount of food. Now, how many of you could feed your family very long on an $800 a week grocery bill? You paid for gasoline. You got a deal. You drove over the state line and you got it for $3 a gallon. This happens, you pay $24 per gallon. Now, this could happen very rapidly as we saw one hurricane made our fuel prices, Hurricane Katrina, go up 400%. What about tribulation judgments? They'll go up 800% real easy. And when you see that Russia is in a war with Ukraine, do you know that that cuts down the supply of the world's wheat? And do you know what they are constantly telling us? Get ready for a famine. Get ready for a famine. Why? Because of the war in Ukraine, they haven't been able to grow the food and increase the food supply. And I'm telling you, when there is a world war, we have seen a precursor to what can happen. There will not be the ability to grow crops and to raise their animals, and we will have a food shortage, a famine. Catastrophe, a cat catastrophic famine. Now, this is what the Bible says is going to happen in the early parts of the tribulation period. Now, there will be another one when there will be one-fourth of the planet that will die in one night, verse 7 and 8. One-fourth of planet Earth would be 1.2 billion people dying a night. You won't be able to bury 1.2 billion people in a couple of days. So they'll rot, and their bodies will decay, and the whole Earth will smell with decayed carcasses. That's why God is calling it the tribulation. There'll be more death in verse 9. But then I want you to see verse 12. The sixth seal is open, and behold, when he opened the sixth seal, and it says that with that sixth seal... The stars of heaven, verse 13, fall to the earth, even as the fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Now, don't make this up. How many of you have heard scientists recently talk about large meteors lined up to hit our planet? Anybody? This is what God says is going to happen in the beginning of the tribulation. Let me tell you something. I was reading a National Geographic magazine, which, by the way, is not a Christian periodical. And you know what the front cover said? Scientists have charted over 500 large meteors or stars that they predict will come close enough to hit our planet. National Geographic magazine, 500 stars. And they said within the next 26 years. It's close, folks. And all these things prophesied are coming to fruition. Now, Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 8. There are seven trumpets, and we're not going to be able to go over them because of time, but I'll just hit a highlight here. In Revelation 8, the first trumpet is sounded, and it says it followed with hail and fire mingled with blood. So it's going to rain hail, and it's going to rain fire, and it's going to rain blood. Now, how many have ever heard a child scream in a thunderstorm? How are kids going to scream when the sky rains blood? Now somebody said, well, that'll never happen. God turned the water into blood way back in the day of Moses, and he has no problem turning water into blood. And this is a time of judgment. 
How in the world does rain get up there? God gets it up there. How does it come down? God makes it come down. Why is it water? God made it water. If God can do that, put blood in my veins, God can put blood in a cloud. And God's going to do it. And then, there are other judgments. I want to go ahead and read verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was spent, a third part of the moon, a third part of the stars. So as a third part of them was dark, and the day shone not a third part of it, and the night likewise. All right, there are 24 hours in every day. 24 divided by 3 is 8. So for 8 hours every day that you were going to be able to see, instead, you will not be able to see. I personally believe you will not get light from a flashlight, a fire. 8 hours of every day, total darkness where there normally was light. Why? I believe the 4th and the 5th trumpet go together. Look at chapter 9 and verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit, the smoke as of a great furnace. And get this, the sun and air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So I believe that God opens up the bottomless pit or hell, and I believe that if there's fire in hell, there's probably smoke in hell. So he opens up the bottomless pit and the smoke comes bellowing out from hell itself around the entire earth. And I don't know if it's one place or several places, but the earth is filled with a smoke that is opened up from hell. Now if the smoke is what darkens everything, and we're about to wrap this up because we're out of time, but just imagine if the smoke is so thick you can't see, just imagine trying to breathe then. <coughs> And for eight hours of every day, having a hard time breathing because of the smoke that's in the atmosphere. And then all of a sudden, in the darkness, what comes out of the bottomless pit is the scary thing. And this alone will be enough to say you don't want to go through the tribulation period. Out of the bottomless pit of hell, there come these demonic beasts called locusts. And they have the face of a man, hair like a woman, teeth like an iron, a chest made of iron, and a tail like a scorpion. And they latch on to people and they sting them. And the pain is the pain of a scorpion's sting when he strikes a man. I notice verse 3. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. To them it was given that they should not kill them. They're not going to kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now usually locusts will feed on plants. Not these. They're going to feed on people. Now, they're not going to kill them. They're going to latch on, and with their lion-like teeth, they're going to feed on their flesh just enough to inflict pain, but not to kill them so they don't die. And then they will sting them. And the pain lasts five months. Now, just imagine, and we're going to move on to the closing. Imagine in the darkness, you are breathing. (coughs) Mask or rag or whatever. And in the darkness, you hear wings. 
You cannot see them, but you know they're one of these demonic beasts. You can't see them, but they can smell you. And you turn and you run to get away because you heard about them. And they smell you even though you can't see them. And you're running in the smoke and the darkness to get away. And the wings get faster. And out of the darkness you hear. And they latch on, sting you, and they do not let go. Five months. Welcome to the tribulation. Now let's close by going back where we started. We've got to wrap this up. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to see why we preach on this. Now the reason for preaching on hell whenever I do is not that I want people to go to hell, or I want that to happen. I never smiled one time when I've heard of somebody getting the judgment of God or dying and going to hell. And by the way, God never smiled. He said, I take no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. But the Bible says there's a hell, and I don't want people to go there, so we warn people about it. But why do we preach on the tribulation? Not because we want people to go through it, but because we don't want people to go through it. Now, if you heard people say, oh, there's coming a great judgment. Oh, there's going to come an antichrist. There's going to be a one-world government, one-world dictatorship, and all this. And you say, well, nothing's happening, man. You might go, well, maybe there's nothing to it. But when you see God is moving pieces around like a chess game, getting ready for checkmate, then you see there's something to it. And if you don't know you're saved, this is not the time to pretend. Because you would be left behind to go through the tribulation. Now, why do we put this in the Bible? So that people will be saved. All right, look at verse 9. 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. The Lord is not weak, unable to fulfill what He promised. He can't come back. He's not strong enough to do this. He's not weak concerning His promise. He's not strong enough to make it rain blood. He's not strong enough to send demonic beasts from the pit of hell. He's not strong enough to have 1.2 billion people die in one night. He's not strong enough. No, the Lord's not weak concerning what He promises. As some people say, oh, He's too weak to do it. No, it says He is long-suffering to who? Us. And he adds this, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. So you know why God puts this in the Bible? So that you'd see there's something to it, and if you don't know you're saved, you may not understand it all, but you can't understand this. I don't want to go through that. And you're convincing me that your Christian isn't going to help you stay out of hell. you got to be a Christian. And a second reason is that we who are believers need to catch fire again. Look at this in verse 14. Wherefore, beloved Christians, seeing that ye look for such things, be what? Diligent. All right, 2 Peter 3, 14. Let's look at that. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be Diligent, not slothful, not like take a siesta, not like, hey, maybe 10 years from now, maybe I'll go into God's work, or maybe 10 years from now, I'll start getting faithful at church. Maybe 10 years from now, once I get this bill paid, that bill paid, this thing done, you don't have 10 years. You might not. You never know. 
And so what God is saying, be diligent, not slothful, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So here's what he's saying. As Christians, we need to be diligent about living like we're supposed to live, at peace with people, get out the sin, and giving account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you knew that Jesus was going to come to earth one year from now, how many have a couple people you'd like to tell about Jesus before then? And so let's do it. If you knew that Jesus was going to come on a certain day, do you think you'd be looking at something filthy on your television at that moment? Do you think that if Jesus was going to come next week and he told you, get right with people, that when I come, you'd be found at peace with people? Do you think you might be knocking on somebody's door, calling somebody on the cell phone, saying, hey, we need to talk and get this fixed? Well, that's what he tells us we need to do. Let's bow our heads.